You're listening to. To Books and Boba, a book club and podcast featuring books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And we are here today for our book club discussion of our August 2021 book club pick, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribai. Rira. Yes. Man, you weren't kidding when you were saying this is not a, um, a, not a lighter YA fair. No. Um, like I said, it it dives into more heavy themes. Uh, it dives into uh, President Duterte's war on drugs. Uh, it has, um, you know, it has family death, grief, uh, poverty, um, and uh, there's like brief mentions of trafficking. So yeah, definitely not a light read. Um, go in with caution if any <laughs> of those are your triggers. Yeah, and I guess a quick content warning for our own discussion. We'll probably be talking about touching on stuff like um, death and domestic violence, too. So, um, yeah, just putting that out there. Um, but, yeah, let's um, – should we get into it? I How did like you just, want to get into it? I feel like we just talked to each other like a couple of days ago, so I don't know if there's like <laughs> banter. I mean, I do want to say that we did um, – our timing got a little messed up and I accidentally, because this was supposed to be our 150th episode. Oh, really? But then I accidentally <laughs> put something else as 150. Um, our interview with Amanda Jayatissa that when it came out earlier this week. So this is 151. So we're going to celebrate, I guess we're celebrating the 150 plus one episode of Books and Boba. Oh, wow. It's been that many episodes. That's... How do you feel? That's wild. I've <laughs> never been this consistent at anything in my entire life. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's wild. Um, you like I I worried about running out of content at some point, but book the books just keep coming. The book deals and uh, adaptations keep coming. So I'm like, okay, I guess we still have content. I guess we still have things to talk about. <laughs> Great. I mean, if anything, there's more books to talk about these days than than ever before. Like we've we're getting pitched by publishers all the time, and we're only two people with one podcast, so we can't possibly cover every single book that comes across our our desk. But we're, we're trying our best, and this month also marks our fifth anniversary yeah yeah fifth yeah man half a decade <laughs> so thank you to all of our listeners who have been with us for um the ride um and to those of you who have joined us recently um we hope you stick with us for the next five years as well um but yeah i guess man 151 is i feel like we as in reaver and i have done a a not as good job celebrating our milestones. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, here's the thing. Like, uh, my personality is that I o- I'm always moving the goalpost, like, even before, like, I reach a milestone. So it's, like, it- it's really hard for me to celebrate stuff because I'm constantly thinking, like, oh, I should do better or I'm comparing myself <laughs> to other podcasts. I'm, like, these people have, like, 
what, like t- over 2,000 followers and, you know, they, they have a Discord. They have all of these things, but um, our podcast is not up to that level. Mainly that's my fault because I'm not the one putting in the work to get us to that level. No, so. no, it's, it's, I think it's just, it's... We, Again, we are only two people. We are we do an not organic have an podcast. You would find our podcast at like your local Sprouts or um, Whole Foods, I guess. Are we a Whole Foods podcast? I don't know. Maybe your I, local I have farmer's bad, market. Bad associations with Whole Foods. <laughs> so I don't know about that com- comparison. I mean, if we want to start a Discord, we can start a Discord. There's nothing stopping us. Yeah, but then we have to start managing that Discord. And to be fair, we have about 1,800 followers so we're, we're close to 2000 so you know time to time time to move those goalposts again let's go for 5000 yeah. 5000 well, followers but yeah that's why we don't really celebrate milestones in <laughs> fact i just completely forget about them until someone reminds me and it's always been like this since my childhood so <laughs> there you there you have it well if our listeners feel so inclined please um shoot us a twitter message or instagram message congratulating us yeah, uh, validation is kind great. of it's kind of um gauche to you know ask for validation, but <laughs> you know this is for a good cause. It's to repair Rira's eagle, so you know I think it's for a good cause. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the fact that Marvin has to be the positive one out of two of us, it's uh, <laughs> it's a big responsibility. <laughs> All right. Well, um, with that out of the way, let's get into our discussion of Patron Saints of Nothing by Renny Ribai. Um, Rira, do you want to start us off with the book jacket description? Uh, yes. Uh, for those of you who do not care about spoilers, uh, this is what the premise of the book is. So Jay Reguero plans to spend the last semester of his senior year playing video games before heading to the University of Michigan in the fall. But when he discovers that his Filipino cousin, June, was murdered as part of President Duterte's war on drugs, and no one in the family wants to talk about what happened, Jay travels to the Philippines to find out the real story. Hoping to uncover more about June and the events that led to his death, Jay is forced to reckon with the many sides of his cousin before he can face the whole horrible truth and the part he played in it. So Patron States of Nothing was a 2019 finalist for the National Book Award for Young People's Literature. Uh, So this was a highly celebrated book, and I could definitely see why. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, okay, first of all, um, I know you mentioned it up top, but just to make it clear, this is a all spoilers discussion. Spoiler safeties are off. So we'll be discussing main plot points, um, revelations, character secrets and so if you haven't read the book yet um and plan to um you should stop this stop this podcast now and come back after you've finished so you can listen to our discussion or if you're one of those um people who want to hear a spoiler discussion before you read the book keep listening no no judgment here if that is what you want to do but um yeah i feel like this book comes from a long line and i know when it came out it was being compared to um um the hate you give right i don't know if it was compared but it was definitely like in that category of like quote-unquote issue books Uh, i don't really like calling it issue books but um like 
I'm not sure when Randy started writing this, but really felt like he started writing this like around 2016 because uh, of like President Duterte, who came into power in 2016, uh, the Trump election in 2016. There was a lot of grim. Um, all of us were kind of doom scrolling at that time, and we still are. But, you know, it was like 2015 was all glitter and oh, yeah, the Kardashians and reality TV shows. And then 2016 hit, and it was like, oh, damn. Like, I mean, yeah, 2016 <laughs> was when, when we realized that our world was still ruled by authoritarians. And for some reason, fascism was coming back. And so everything was, everything was not glittering and gold. Yeah, so um, it, it dives into a lot of... Uh, into a lot of politics, but it's told from this perspective of one teenager and uh, his his cousin's death and like the grief that his family goes to goes through. So it is very much humanized in a way where young people can relate to something that is, you know, highly political and uh, really violent. Yeah. Um, so I guess to start off, what were your general thoughts about the book? Um, I really like the book. Um, I really like the fact that it focused on uh, Jay and his uh, relationship with his cousin. Um, I definitely related to having blood relatives that I used to be really close to when I was younger. And because you're an ocean away, um, it those ties become frayed and you don't really know how to connect anymore. And so I definitely understand that, uh, I guess, displacement when you come back to the motherland and you're like, we're family, but this is, this is real awkward. And, um, and like, I, I, I knew like the highlights, like the headlines of the war on drugs in the Philippines, but, um, it, it was always written by American journalists, Western journalists. So um, I like the fact that Randy brought up like how that can be bias and and like doesn't show the entire story. Um, so, yeah, like we're going to talk a little bit more about like second generation guilt <laughs> and uh, like what it means to be part of the Asian diaspora and have opinions about uh, the motherland and how like th- like how we're conflicted because our family tells us we're not entitled to hold an opinion because we haven't grown up in that country and are they right about that uh what about you marvin what was what were your thoughts yeah i enjoyed the book as well i um i i like that we followed jay's story of grief like this ultimately this book is about this kid's journey of coming to accept his cousin's death and his own guilt of not being there um, as a second generation person who left the country. And I like that Randy was able to tell the story of grief using the backdrop of Duterte's um, war on drugs, which um, it's not that it's, done for flavor but it really complicates things right like it's bad enough to leave a cousin or a loved one in their time of need it's worse when it's like when there's external factors that would exasperate that and i think much like the character of jay learned a lot about his 
country and what's going on there. Um, the readers also learn about like these are all real events that Randy describes, and I'm sure, um, like I don't want to say nine, like probably like maybe sixty percent, maybe that's being too generous. Seventy percent of readers were not aware that these are real things that are happening um, until maybe they Googled it themselves, right? Yeah, like um, Randy at the very end of the book uh, lists a couple of uh, sources that he used to to research and there were a lot of articles in there yeah um but the thing is like you can read as many articles as you like but you're not living there you're not you're not actually there in the place of of action so you could never really understand what uh uh what uh, what the people who are going through um in the war of drugs are yeah and um i know that you mentioned that Uncle Manning, Tito Manning, says, that, oh, you, you shouldn't believe everything that Western media says. But um, there's also, so um, there are a couple supplementary pieces that if you, people are interested in learning more about um, what's going on there, should check out. One of them is called A Thousand Cuts. It's a documentary by Ramona Diaz that follows the journalists in the Philippines that are reporting on Duterte's war on drugs um, that are actively being silenced and threatened. Um, because one of the things that um, Duterte does or his administration does is they have a huge propaganda machine, which is a big oh, reason yeah. why yeah, like, people like Tila Manning and people in, in the country support um, the war on drugs and, and discredit like Western reporting as like slander. Yeah. When I, when I said like, Oh, I like, don't know the whole entire story because I've only read headlines and like articles by Western journalists who cover uh, the war on drugs in the Philippines. I, I mean, like, I know that it is a problem. I know that Philippines, like they have a propaganda machine and a lot of journalists are being silenced, are being killed. Um, but like I said, like I, I'm not living in the Philippines, so uh, therefore I can't fully understand the magnitude and the daily impact uh, the war on drugs has uh, on like everyday citizens over there. But that's yeah. that's pretty much what I mean. I I don't <laughs> want to sound like a really ignorant person right now. But <laughs> no. I think I mean one of the themes of the book is Jay coming to terms with his own like how much he didn't pay attention and you know these issues become something that is really really important to him because it affects people that he loves he affects his family that he reconnects with during his journey and i think part of you know part of one of the things that you can take from this book is maybe you know um maybe americans can be a little bit more aware of international relations that's kind of always been our um one of our flaws is we believe America is the center of the universe, so we don't need to know about other places um, until stuff like this happens, and then people suddenly become experts on you know foreign relations. Like, and know, then we don't, and then we don't like credit America for instigating a lot of the problems <laughs> that the country yeah. is going through. <laughs> yeah, and I guess we should talk about Jay as the central character. He is the first person narrator that we follow, and he is essentially. I mean, this story. Patron states of nothing is his coming of age story, right? It's it's a you know if you take away all the all the current events trappings, this is a back to the motherland t- story, right? Um, that we've read we've read before, but instead of you know going back to the motherland to reconnect with the roots or because they're forced to go to like a summer camp, he is going to investigate his cousin's death. So there's also you know hints of um, like a mystery in there too. 
Yeah, I found it really interesting that, you know, his parents didn't want him to go back to the Philippines. So he came up with the excuse of, oh, I want to like retouch on like my roots and learn uh, Tagalog and, you know, get close to my cousins again. And that's essentially what happens in his trip. It's (laughs) I'm just these parents obviously don't talk or know. Like, I mean, even if they don't talk to their child, like, how could they believe that? Like. Oh, like a week after my cousin dies, I'm going to go to the Philippines to, to visit my family. Okay, but the thing is, like, I think they knew what, what was up. But <laughs> they were like, okay, well, he needs to he needs to go through this. Obviously, he's not going to quit. So, um, yeah, like... <sighs> I mean, let's talk about the family because um, I <laughs> it's interesting to me because Filipino families in fiction that I've read or seen on TV have always been like warm, close knit families. And this was probably the first uh, Filipino family that I've seen in media that is kind of similar to like what I would imagine like an East Asian family in media is, which is more cold (laughs) and practical and bad at communicating. Yeah. Bad at communicating. uh, Definitely. I mean, silence is a big theme in this book. Like, not being able to uh, talk to your family about very important things and how that strains the relationship, Uh, silence of journalism, um, and just like how you have to have really uncomfortable conversations in order to, uh, you know, reinforce those relationships that you have with your family. Yeah. Um, Yeah, like the, the, the family dynamics, like I... I kind of understood the loneliness that Jay had uh, of just like, oh, these, this is my family, but we don't talk about anything. Yeah. And And like, are we really family? Because we don't really know each other. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with with the fact that they're the only ones in their family in the States, right? The rest of their family stayed in the Philippines. And there's a strained relationship between his father and the rest of his family as well. And this is a strain that, is more familiar to me as like a child of immigrants from Taiwan um, because my family was split up during the Chinese Civil War and we've managed to reconnect with some of them, but they do hold some resentment towards my family for being able to like get out and live in the States. Yeah, like I I understood too because um, like out of my, out of like my extended family, uh, my immediate family was the only one living in the States for a very, very long time. I would say like 16, 17 years, we were we were by ourselves and we would go back to Korea to uh, reconnect with, with the rest of the family. And I would just, you know, I, my cousins were never mean to me or anything, but there would just be comments about my Americanness that just kind of seemed like, it yeah. seemed insulting, but like I know that it, I know it came from a place of just like like yeah. not knowing the culture. It's like that scene where um where Jay's aunt is showing him around her giant mansion, is making all these like, oh, we didn't have to leave the Philippines to like find success. And yeah. like Jay knows he's she's talking about him, but at that point he couldn't say anything about it, right? He, because ultimately he is still Asian and he still needs to respect his elders. 
Yeah, I mean, like one comment uh, that I would hear like regularly was just like, "Oh, it's so nice that you can speak English without an accent." And to me, it was like, "Well, that's because I was raised in America. That's not anything special." Um, and and then they would just like comment, being like, "Oh, they'll compliment me on my English." And then for Korean, they're like, "Oh, it's good for like." someone who lived in America for pretty much their entire life. And I was like, that's a very backhanded compliment. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, Jay doesn't really go through that. He doesn't go through that exactly because most of his family, they do speak English or at least conversational English. Like all that shade that his uncle throws in. I'm I'm saying that it's not not exactly (laughs) the same, but... um, yeah, definitely a lot of a lot of shaming for not knowing your mother tongue when it's like I I grew up in a different country. Yeah. Like that's not like the main language. And also Jay has the added layer of being uh mixed race. His mom is a white, quote unquote, white American. <laughs> um so he's definitely going through this like like this, he didn't go to the Philippines to do some soul searching on his identity, but that's pretty much what happened. <laughs> and this idea of like not being Filipino enough, uh, that has like an extra layer because he is mixed race. Yeah. And the fact that he lives in, he lives in Michigan, right? Not Ann Arbor, but like somewhere in Michigan, like some some suburb or something. Yeah, like he lives in, in that area. Yeah. And I guess he's like the only, not the only person of color, but probably one of the only Filipinos in Michigan, right? Uh, I don't think. I don't, well, I don't think the book actually was explicit in the makeup of his school. It sounded like it was mostly white, but also at the same time there were uh, like people of color at his school. Probably not a high Filipino population, but it's like okay, there are black folks, there are like East Asian folks and Hispanic folks. Uh, yeah. It's just like everything is kind of like evened <laughs> out in the in like the diverse. Part of yeah, the and you know, he he has one best friend who is just this like I don't know I don't know if that friendship has any legs past college, but uh, um yeah so he's already kind of lost right like he has no connection to his family, his siblings don't get him his parents don't get him his friends don't even get him right and there's no one he can talk to like when when he receives the news that his cousin June passed away like there's literally no one he can talk to about it and he goes searching for any traces of his cousin he has left, which is these letters that they used to write to each other that he kind of ended up ghosting June, right? And that's the beginning of his guilt. Like, learning that he died as a part of Duterte's war on drugs and wondering if there was anything he could have done to help, right? Because um, as we learn through, um, through Jay's investigation, June also was experiencing heavy alienation from his family and his community, right? Because um, this is the biggest plot point, I think, that like everything hinges on or everything is kind of connected to is his dad's a cop and his dad is like top cop of his region, right? Yeah, like the second I heard, like the second I read that like uh, Tito Manning was a cop, I was like, oh, he's a bad person. <laughs> I already, like, like, I was like, I like I already had yeah. my Tito like, Manning is that, that one much. like Republican uncle that no one likes to talk to because they just start spouting like conservative horrible like rhetoric like he's totally bought into Duterte's I mean I don't know if I believe that he's totally bought in um, I I think I don't know part of me thinks that Tito Manning 
has to say what he says because he's being monitored, um, probably. Perhaps. I feel like he he has like bought into it for for the most part, but um, I guess like because it's his family, he's like, well, you know, I'll make some exceptions here and there, I guess. Um, it, it kind of reminds me of like when uh, when my dad voted for Trump <laughs> oh, no. and, you know, like we like. And, you know, like I had that conversation of just like, well, like he has said some really disgusting things about women and, you know, like not to pull the whole you have a daughter card, but I will pull that out. Like if he said that about me, like, would you still vote for him? And he said, no, I wouldn't vote for him. But then he still voted <laughs> for him. So it, it's just kind of like you have like, you know, what's right and you know what's wrong, but you're still willing to overlook that for the greater good i don't know if i'm making yeah. sense here but like that's kind of the feeling i got from <laughs> I mean, we uh, don't get Mane. any insight into his interiority except that you know there's the fact that he did know that his daughter was carrying on june's legacy in posting that anti-duterte um website and was kind of turning a blind eye to it so yeah, because it's like, what are you going to do? You're going to arrest your daughter and like have her possibly be murdered? Like, of course not. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if he's like, you know, I don't know. I don't buy that he's 100% a dirtbag, but he's definitely part of the system. Um, he might just be like, oh, if it only doesn't matter if it's my family. I will use my power to protect my family, but I will also use my power to crack down on all these, you know, drug users. Um, it, like, okay, like it just goes to show that like you... There's a quote in the book uh, that says, none of us are just one thing. <laughs> and it applies to pretty much every single character in this book, but especially Tito Manning, because throughout like 90% of the book, you're like, this guy is awful. He's misogynistic. He tries to control his children. He kicked his son out. Like there are just like so many things that is, is just like so infuriating about him. But, like, towards, like, the last 10% of the book, you're like, okay, he's human. And even though, like, you, like, even though he said otherwise and he, like, cut off his son, like, he still cared about his son in the in the very end. It just came out in a way where it wasn't visible to everybody else. So it just shows that, like, there's complexity to Tito Manning, despite <laughs> just, his... Yeah, he's Republican just a toxic male figure that's misogynist. <laughs> he's just a typical, like, Asian patriarchal man yes. who, you know, wants to be, like, the head of the household. And, you know, it's just like, yeah, but, but Yeah, no. and it's, like, in opposition <laughs> to, like, his family who is, like, this mixed family, right? They have, like, multiple queer family members yeah, but he doesn't get along well, the thing is, with those queer family members. He got along with them members. until the they decided to take in his son, right? <laughs> I don't know. It just felt like it, like he was not in good terms mm. with them anyway, and that was just the straw that yeah. broke well, the camel's back. That's kind well, of the like feeling I said, that I got. He's that Republican uncle that no one likes to talk to because. No one, no one wants to deal with that shit. It, it just made me wonder, like, if he knew that his daughter Grace was gay, 
It's like, what would that, what would that reaction be like? Probably not good. Um, but would he disown his child over that? I'm not sure. I mean, he still Probably, has one more. Like, I'm he leaning more, more towards. So you never know, right? <laughs> oh God, that's that's I mean, terrible, Marvin. <laughs> I'm just based on my analysis of what he would do. He probably would disown her, or at least like give her an ultimatum. And like Grace, being the stronger person that she is, will probably be like June and say, "Yeah, fuck it, I'm out." You know, she just needs to hang out for three yeah, more years, yeah, and probably. then she's out anyways, right? Technically, I don't know how Filipino college works. I thought it was really interesting that Tito Manning uh, was like, "Colonization is super bad." Did they teach you in America, <laughs> like? how America is bad and they like were the they were the ones who instigated the war on drugs and how you know they took over our country after Spain left and the Philippines was like we're independent and America said hold on a second maybe not not yet uh, and it it was just like really funny to me because like yes colonization is bad but like the system that he is yeah, upholding now well, came from it's colonization. That, it's like that old, it's, I don't know if it's old saying, but like he may be a dictator, but he's our dictator. Right? Oh, God. I <laughs> um, actually found it interesting that Jay didn't know anything about all that stuff. But then at the same time, he doesn't have like a community of people drilling that into his head. So I guess that makes sense. Um, if he had gone to college and joined like a local like Filipino cultural or he probably would learn about that stuff. Uh, but he got crash course from his, you know, his, his fascist uncle, which is cool, you know? Um, but you bring up a good point in that Tito Manning is saying that like a lot of the problems that Philippine, that the Philippines have endured over the years. And you, you see this, I think you kind of see this also with, with Korea, right? Like this like long-seated trauma of like we haven't been in control of our own destiny for so long. And like a lot of our problems are come from like other countries like treating us as their, their thing, right? Yeah. And the book doesn't offer any solutions, right? It's not a book about like here's how we solve the war on drugs, right? It's, it's, it's focused on Jay's personal journey. And he does um, resolve to go back to the Philippines to – you know, learn more and to be more in touch with with his roots. And probably, I don't know, I think the book alludes that he wants to help Mia with her project and, you know, maybe go down the path of being like an investigative journalist. Um, well, let's talk about um, Jay's family because um, we have to meet a bunch of his cousins, his aunts and uncles, um, and they all seem to be pretty cool people. Like everything besides Tito Manning and like and his wife, they seem to be at least um, like at least have more of a balanced view on Duterte's war on drugs. Yeah, yeah. They it's a very interesting family dynamic, I would say, because, you know, like they're they're Catholic and also like half of their family is conservative but then you also have gay <laughs> aunts and um and you have like a, you, you know you have a mixed family in there as well two mixed families because uh tita tita chato is um 
a mixed race Chinese uh, Filipina. So, yeah, it's to be a fair, very... I think a lot of Filipinos in the Philippines are mixed race because of said colonialism. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. But it seemed like, like, like you said, like that family has a very, like a more balanced view than a lot of other Filipino families would have. Um, but like the, the strain and like the inner feuds and just family members not talking to each other uh, and being like super passive aggressive. Like, yeah, that's just... <laughs> I don't want to say like that's every Asian family, but it definitely feels like a lot of Asian Americans can can relate to this. See, this is where because like, my family is we're pretty close and I'm pretty close with my cousins on my dad's side. But I am estranged from my cousins on my mom's side. And I have two there that I haven't talked to in probably over maybe two decades now. But does your family have like taboo subjects? Like I know for a lot of families who, you know, like who were refugees, for example, like they don't talk about like the war that they fled. They don't talk about their trauma. And um, like for for my family, too, there there are aspects where we just don't talk about stuff and uh, you just don't know about it until someone slips up. And uh, with Jay's family, the taboo subject is June and why he was kicked out of the family and his death. And because it's assumed that he was a drug pusher and a drug addict, uh, there's no memorial for him. And uh, people are, you know, there's like kind of this whole silent conversation saying like, we don't talk like we're not talking about this. This is going to bring up a can of worms. And there are people who uh, are on opposing sides to this. But in order to maintain the peace, we yeah. just I mean, we're just not essentially, the, the reason we don't talk about it is we don't want to we, we don't want Tito Manning to like blow a gasket. Yeah. And, and, you know, like Jay's dad, Jay's dad even like says, hey, when you go to the Philippines, don't bring up June at all. And it's like, how can you expect your son to not bring that up? Like, how, I mean, like, like you have a gruesome death in the family. Like, how can you not? I mean, talk the whole reason that? he's going, like, one of the main reasons he's going is to confront Tito Manning about June's death and, like, whether or not he had a role in it, right? Because he got, like, I think most people would do after learning about the reason of June's death, he went on a Google um, bender. And learn all about Duterte's uh, war on drugs from like reporting, from Western reporting, looking at pictures. And he gets sent a um, text, anonymous Instagram message that says June's death was not like he was innocent, right? He didn't do anything wrong, um, which leads him to believe that his death was uh, straight up. A, like yeah. was a cover-up made by the police and and he does like he goes and, snooping in yeah. his uncle's office and finds like a a piece of paper like an official a list of drug dealers with his cousin's name on it that's in tito manning's possession so he knows that tito manning knew about june being on the list and either it's ordered it that, or like, did nothing tito right? manning didn't do yeah and so did nothing. a big part of the story is jay building up the courage to confront Tito Manning about it. Uh, and one of our book club members, Nina, commented on Goodreads uh, saying, the one thing that I resonated with that was incredibly unexpected was Jay's inability to speak up to Tito Manning at the very beginning of his trip to the Philippines. 
Being unable to speak up and say what's on your mind after seeing the look on an elder's face is something that I deeply relate to. And, and she goes on to say, I had to overcome this into adulthood and found it admirable, albeit unrealistic, when Jay finally <laughs> confronted Tito Manning. Uh, yes, uh, speaking, like talking back to your elders is a big no-no in every Asian culture. And yeah, you don't really get that courage or that perspective because you're trained from a very young age like the elders are always right like you like don't question it or at least like don't (laughs) rebel in front of their face do it behind their back like grace does with with her secret phone and her relationship with uh her girlfriend and yeah it's I don't know if it was unrealistic because the situation that Jay was in was so extreme. Like having finding out that your cousin was, you know, murdered for being a drug pusher and your uncle being a cop and somehow being implicit in it. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a normal situation (laughs) where (laughs) this is or anyone who's ever worked an office job, like fantasizing about like chewing out your boss and quitting on the spot, right? Like, everyone's had those fantasies when you've had a bad day at work, but you never really do it. And a lot of the first half of this book is Jay having the resolve and say, I'm going to do it this time, and then wussing out the last minute, right? And I thought it was really, like, that was realistic because every scene, and, you know, um, Goodreads, our, our book club member Julie mentions this as well, like, every scene with Tito Manning in it is super tense like he is a very imposing figure off the page um and like it must have been terrifying to even like be in that man's presence right because he it feels like he's like on a hair trigger right he's like he could like attack you at any moment and like seriously hurt you um which he does at the very end like the last confrontation he like almost chokes out his nephew yeah, uh, like I said, very extreme situation. Um, and also, like, Jay is is on, like, a time crunch because he's, he's there for spring break. So, um, yeah, there's this question of, like, when is he ever going to find the... Like, when is he ever going to have the opportunity to find out the truth, if not now? So I feel like that was like a very big contributing factor to yeah. him speaking up. But it does take like 90% of the book for him well, to I mean, get to that Well, the first confrontation point. comes really like, a lot earlier than I thought. Yeah, but was it a confrontation? I don't know if it was a confrontation. I mean, so the first time he confronts him is in the museum, right? And I think the biggest issue there is he worked up the courage, but he didn't have like he didn't have the live ammo, right? He didn't have enough connection or knowledge of what June was doing, what June, who June was, what he did after, where it's all he had was like this piece of paper that shows that his uncle knew something. And I think, I mean, I think you can see it as an allegory of like American righteous indignation of like learning one thing and assuming the worst about like a person, like, you know, based on his Western morals or whatever, right? Like he, he, he honestly thought that this was enough to get his uncle to repent and it's not. Yeah. And like, you know, uh, his uncle says like, what do you know? Like you, you did not grow up here. You don't know anything about like the history of this place. Um, Like you don't know the complexities of the war on drugs. Like how, like 
how dare you, <laughs> young man? Uh, like, you think that this is enough to to say that you know the entire scope of, of the problem of, of a country that I've lived in for my entire life, whereas, like, you, an American, like, have been an ocean away and has been so far removed yeah. from this conflict. And even then, he's not saying what he wants to say, right? Like, it's, doesn't, it takes until that last confrontation where, like, Tina Manning attacks him. Because he literally says, "You kill your son." Oof. That was yeah. yeah. That was not. That was not pretty. Um, but like, yeah, like Tito Manning and just like a lot of situations that Jay faces, uh, there's a question mark to it. It's like, are you are you Filipino enough to go search for these answers? Like, and. You know, like like I said, Jay is mixed race as well, so there's an added layer to it. And I feel like that is something that a lot of Asian diasporans go through of like <laughs> like with Hong Kong, for example. It's like, do you have the right to talk about it when you're like not actually there protesting? And it's like and I, and my answer to that is yes. You're <laughs> like everyone is entitled to their own opinion. Um just do your research and be like, like there are parts in this book where Jay realizes that he needs to just shut up and listen. Uh, There's a scene where um, him and Mia, who is a girl that is a friend of Grace and she's an aspiring investigative journalist. And I guess a potential romantic partner. (laughs) Yeah. We'll talk about that later. Um, But, you know, they go into the slums, which is where June was last seen, and they interview um, this woman, Reina, who he was living with, who is a victim of uh, trafficking and uh, a victim of domestic abuse. Uh, Not from June, by the way. Uh, But, like, there's there's a moment where Reina says, well... You know, this happened because men are men are going to be men in in sort of like that in sort of like a joking Mm -hmm. way, but not really, not really joking. And um, Jay is about to say, oh, not all (laughs) men. And Mia's like, shut up, sit down. This is don't make this about you because it is not about you. And um, yeah, like this this book also like dives into privilege of just like not being a man in a patriarchal society, but also, you know, being American and being separated from poverty, um, having oh, having like an entire house to yourself instead of living in the slums in like very haphazard housing um, and just not worrying about about like surviving. But at the same time, when he goes to the slums, he realizes that people are still living like it's not just entire like they're not entirely miserable all the time like people adapt and try to make the best out of things but yeah shut up and listen is definitely a theme in this book um yeah and ultimately um this story is a coming of age story for jay right he he starts out in a place of ignorance and self-centeredness. And then he goes to the Philippines and meets a lot of people doing things that they believe in. Right. And that's something that he's never had um, as like a disaffected, like suburban kid growing up, uh, growing up in middle America. 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting where like he would compare himself to June being like, we're we're like pretty much the same age. But, you know, I was worrying about math homework while he was worrying about uh, the country spiraling because <laughs> of, of drug problems and corruption and him trying to survive by by getting like <laughs> groceries in, in like the slums. And it's just like, yeah, totally different problems. But you're the same age. So we mentioned that there were two big confrontations with Tino Manning. The first happens in the museum when all he has is like that piece of paper proving that Tino Manning knew something. And the second one happens after he goes investigating with Mia, his not-girlfriend partner. He finds out that June um, runs this anti-government website, that he was, you know, kind of being a essentially a freedom fighter. Um, He was living with his, I guess, his girlfriend and kind of taking care of her, Reina, who is the human trafficking victim, and essentially like leaves one day and ends up dead. And then so you know he takes those learnings and then confronts Tino Manning again, um, gets the shit beat out of him, but also is told to go talk to his last uncle, another uncle of his that is a priest that June also had contact with. And he learns that it's true that June ended up being addicted on drugs and may or may not have been selling it, right? And then, so, I mean, his his goal in coming to the Philippines has always been to vindicate his cousin. And then at the very end, he's confronted with the fatal flaw. And I kind of, like, I, I was a little frustrated with Jay at this point where his resolve falters because his cousin turned out not to be, like, the saint that he thought he was. Yeah. Um, you know? Catherine, one of our Goodreads member, wrote, uh, whether or not June was using or selling drugs, it doesn't matter. He is still a person who loved and was loved. He was more than this thing that Jay was focusing on to determine the morals of June's character. And, yeah, like, I, like, yeah. I agree with that. Like, whether, like, June turning out to be a drug pusher doesn't... Um, you know, cancel out the good that he's done with the website. And it just shows that people are complex and make mistakes. And also you and shouldn't yeah. put people on a pedestal. <laughs> well, it's also so frustrating that like he read all these articles, he learned about the drug war and how people were being killed for like minor infractions, right? Like, um, you know, he learns that um, he learns that June was kicked out of his home for marijuana, which in the States would be like a whatever. Thing. Yeah, like Seth right? smokes pot all the time. And yeah, it's like yeah. not a big deal. And like, the, in fact, like him being on the streets probably led to him doing more serious things than if he just stayed at home smoking pot. And it was, yeah, it was really frustrating when Jay thought that, oh, I guess he deserved to die then. Because he ended up being a drug user and a drug, and maybe a drug pusher, and I liked that Grace was there to like slap him out of it. Um, but I think having this, having the focus of the story be being like Jay trying to find out the truth and you know learning more about the situation in the country, like you know, I thought it was a good way to like humanize a very complex political problem, you know? It's like June, like, yeah, June was a victim of the war on drugs, but he was still someone that was very important to a lot of people. And he wasn't just a number. And it really puts, I guess, 
you know, when we look at statistics and when we look at photos, we get desensitized because so many horrible things happen in our lives. And, you know, the way we cope with it is to just kind of um, lump everything together into into numbers. So it was nice that this story, um, like the war on drugs is a backdrop, but it mainly focused on like the human aspects of, of grief and whatnot. And what this one person, even though he was a drug dealer, like they didn't deserve to die on the street. They didn't deserve to be extra extrajudiciously killed, right? And I think that's what frustrated me was at that point, and this is like my reading of it, is proving his uncle wrong was more important than finding the truth. And it took like Grace to show him that no, like this is all part of June. So if we're going to celebrate his life, we have to accept even the bad parts of him. And the fact that, like, even if he was who the cop said he was, like, still, like, he didn't deserve to die in the street. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I was reminded of, of, like, the scene where he's at the beach with his aunts. And, uh, you know, he's just thinking how, you know, like, accepting that he's Filipino, like, it means that he has to accept the good with the bad, like the tropical beaches and like the friendly nature of, of like Filipinos. Like <laughs> that's all great and, you know, nice. It's, you know, a tourist fantasy, but he also has to accept the poverty and the corruption and, you know, calling himself Filipino means accepting all of that. And that's the same thing with June's death. Like, you know, you have to accept all of him and all, all of the truth um, in order to really like know who he was and accept his death. Um, yeah, I thought yeah. it was like a very poignant theme in in the book. So in the end, he goes home, a changed man, um, and tells his dad that he wants to take a gap year to go back to the Philippines. And his dad's like, who is she? <laughs> right? uh-huh. Yeah, I, like I, with Mia, I really didn't like the fact that they were kind of cheating, but not. not I really. thought her boyfriend would be revealed to be June for some reason. Like I thought that was what they were leading up to. Um, it was dispelled like pretty quickly, but I, at first that was my that was my assumption. Trying to like guess the twists of this of the of the mystery part of this novel. Yeah, um, and I also just. I mean, Mia was an important character because, like, she's the one who's, like, moving the investigation along because Jay doesn't have the skills to investigate. But, like, I don't know. She just kind of fell off the pages after after a while. And I know, like, that was because uh, Jay was visiting other family members. So I kind of wish she was used more in the story. Um, And I also just kind of felt... Like there, there's a scene where Jay tells Mia that he stopped contacting June because he found a girlfriend, and that was one of the main reasons why they kind of fell off the the routine of sending letters. And I was like, I kind of wish there wasn't a re- exact reason for him to stop sending letters because that's just what happens. Like people just lose touch because you're not in the same town or whatever. Uh, I mean, to be fair, when you have your first girlfriend, you kind of 
you tend to go all in because it's your it's your first. So I think it's, I think it's a believable reason. Uh, I I guess I just wish that reason was left out. <laughs> In a way, I don't know if the romance elements in this book were were necessary. I mean, it was it was some good flavor. I guess the fact that they were technically, I mean, they didn't kiss or anything. They didn't do anything. I guess was it, did you call this emotional? Yeah, I treating? would guess. Yeah, it's like <laughs> that really gray area. Um, but they're also both young, so you know, maybe. Uh, I mean, he's obviously attracted to her ambition and drive and she's probably attracted to his you know i don't know yeah why is she attracted to him that that was like a thing that i was i was wondering he's like a sad puppy you know he's just like a it's not a good enough reason <laughs> some way she can take her i, I mean i liked mia because she really opens jay's eyes to like his americanness and and just like like him be like, oh, there's due process. This is like a human rights violation. And it's like, okay, Mr. American, like go sit down in the corner because uh, due process here. Yeah, like it's a piece of paper. And, you know, you don't have the right to tell us that, you know, you know better when you don't have to worry about your safety every single day. Um, and, you know, that is that is a privilege. Um, I feel like a lot of us forget that like the like as bad as things are in America in terms of like our judicial system, there are laws in place. There are measures in place that do protect us in ways that other people in other countries don't have. And we forget about that. And uh, I, I and I guess like I appreciated Mia being there to like point out uh to jay like hey check your privilege because you know we don't have that stuff here yeah all right any final thoughts on patron saints of nothing um i mean we like we're limited on time so obviously we didn't go into everything that we wanted to get into um but I think the book did a really good job covering a lot of topics, uh, you know, not just grief and, uh, you know, the conflict between Asian nationals versus a Asian diasporans, um, finding out, finding out the truth and realizing that it's not, uh, what you expected and, um, it just it covers a lot for a pretty decently paced book, um, and just judging from our Goodreads comments, it seems that a lot of people are in a, in agreement. Like they like the book overall and uh, the topics that it covered. So overall, it is a thumbs up for me. Yeah, I really enjoyed reading it too. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a lot of fun per se, but it was a good experience. You know, you can really feel Jay's grief and guilt the entire book, which can get a little little oppressive if you're not up for that. Um, but yeah, like Mira said, it's not an overly long book and it moves at a pretty brisk pace. And as a coming of age story that has something to say, I think it really did a job well, right? Like he starts off lost and I don't think he's found himself at the end, but he has a better idea of where he wants to go. Yeah, I mean, he's only 18. 
So. <laughs> oh, that okay. This is like totally random, and it does not have to do with the heavy themes of this book. But I just thought it was really funny. There, there was a scene where he's doing karaoke with uh, his his aunts and like their neighbors, and they're like, uh-huh. "Oh, you have to sing." And the song that they pick for him was "Call Me Maybe." Uh, right. <laughs> and. Um, I was just like, wow, like, call me maybe what what a throwback. And then Jay says that uh, it was inescapable when he was in elementary school. And I was just like, wow, uh, call me maybe like I was not that young when that song came out. I feel really <laughs> old. Uh, but yeah, I thought it, I, I thought it was like a pretty funny. Scene. Yeah. I mean, we're both in our 30s now. Yeah. Um, we can't we can't self-insert into these YA novels anymore. Well, we're, just... we're not like the main demographics, <laughs> but yeah. Like, yeah. There, there are just like some parts where like, wow, I am so old. These kids are, you know, it's not instant messenger, but it's like through DMs on, on Instagram, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty much the same thing as instant messenger. But it was, it was just like, oh, yeah, like kids have... It was easier back in the day when it was just AIM. Everyone was on AIM. Yeah, everyone was on AIM. Now it's like you start conversations on Twitter DMs and then you go into Instagram and then you go into Line I mean, or whatever. I have, I have Line, WeChat, and WhatsApp in addition to Facebook Messenger. Um, for a while, people were using Google Messenger. Remember that? Oh, for a yeah, while, I remember G-talk. that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's really funny how communication has changed because of technology um and it's it's funny that like they like june and jay they communicated via letters and that's like something from our parents time you know like even even us like we had email um so i don't know Uh, yeah we had email and we had like Phone texting, yeah, we had right? phone with, texting, like with without like, emojis not even, like, or the QWERTY. Yeah, we didn't even have the, the QWERTY keyboard. We had to like type on the numpad. Ah, oh, the terrible days of good old days. Of, Kids these days don't even know. Don't you even guys know are so a, lucky with. They don't know what a payphone is. They don't know what, I didn't get like a phone until like freshman year of of like high school, and it wasn't even like a real phone. Uh, by the time I went to college, I didn't have a smartphone, and I had to carry a yeah. map of New York City because I would get lost. <laughs> like, well, smart, yeah, smartphones didn't even, didn't even exist until after. I it was so, college, so expensive to get a smartphone <laughs> when, like, during our time as like like teenagers and and yeah. and young adults. But <laughs> but you know, like, we're not the demographics for for this. <laughs> I was just yeah. saying that there were parts where I felt really old and out of touch no, no. <laughs> i mean these last five minutes have shown how much um be reminded of our oldness will trigger us in, in the ways we did not expect thanks randy rebuy i okay here here's the thing what if we brought a younger person onto this podcast the next time we read a ya book Maybe they can give us a more. <laughs> it's like, hey, is this accurate? Like, what do what do you kids do these days? <laughs> no, I think we should double down on um, having cranky old people, <laughs> adult fans of YA on this podcast. Uh, we'll see. But, but like you know, just judging from the comments, most people uh, enjoyed reading this book, despite not being part of the main demographics, and it just shows that you shouldn't be prejudice against young adult stories there are still um lessons to be learned like 
coming of age. You can come of age at any age. I mean, coming of age means different things to different people. Um, all of us come of age differently. <laughs> and some of us are still coming of age, even in our late 30s. So this podcast is coming of age in its fifth year. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I like sometimes I think about it and I'm like, started this podcast in my mid 20s. This is so weird. That I am past 30 now and we're still doing this podcast. <laughs> Not weird. It's a milestone, uh. I guess. I should celebrate my milestones. <laughs> On that note, I think that'll do it for our discussion of our August 2021 book club pick, um, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Rebuy. Let us know what you thought about the book on our Goodreads forums or on Twitter. Um, you can find us on Books and Boba on most social media platforms. And we always love to hear what our listeners have to say about our book picks and about our podcast. Um, with that, let's find out what book we're reading for September. Oh, God, it's already September. That's so <laughs> weird. Um, but it's back to school season. So we are reading Chemistry by Wiki Wang. Um, it is a very short novel. I would say around like 200 pages or so. But it is about a Chinese-American PhD student who is at the cusp of having a seemingly perfect life with her uh, longtime boyfriend proposing to her. Uh, but during the course of her PhD studies, she is unraveling with a lot of stress and uh, just questions about what she's doing with her life. So kind of like a quarter-life crisis in a way. And uh, it's a very wry, quirky, dark humor kind of book. I read it back when it came out in like 2017. And uh, I'm really curious as to seeing like how I feel about it now as someone who is past 30 years old. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is another coming of age story, but not really. It's it's an anti coming of age story <laughs> in, in a weird way. Um, yeah. But I'm excited to talk about it with Marvin. I know this book was on his uh, to be read pile for a very long time. So yeah, it's been on there for a long time. I ha actually have the book um, as a very striking cover, but I haven't opened it yet. So now now it's a great excuse to to break it open and read a physical book for once. Yeah, we have a lot <laughs> like, of yeah. like we, we get books or we buy them and we're like, okay, we'll read this for Books and Boba at some point. So I guess we'll just save it until we read it. And it just took like three or four years for you know, us to finally read chemistry for this podcast. You know, there are a lot of books by Asian and Asian American and Asian and Asian Americans. So, you know, not a bad problem to have. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. Um, all right. Looking forward to reading that with you as well. Um, and as always, if you finished the book early and want to talk about it, um, please leave us a post on our Goodreads forums. Um, we always like to hear from you and we'll also try to incorporate your feedback into our podcasts. Well, with that, um, thanks for listening to this edition of Books and Boba. And we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Rui Ryu and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Books and Boba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. 
You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at booksandboba.com. Books and Boba is a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, a collective of Asian American hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from the Asian diaspora. Learn more about the collective and check out our fellow Potluck shows by visiting the website podcastpotluck.com. Thanks for listening. Life gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, a full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.